My first rifle was a 243. Papa gave daddy and daddy gave to me. And they taught me how to shoot with a steady hand. I guess that's something you don't understand. Here is a new episode of All-American Wing Shooting Podcast, and we have been trying so hard to get this scheduled. Um, Anne-Marie Doremus from Arkansas is joining us today, and I'm so excited to see you. Hey, good morning, Anna. I'm glad to be sharing my morning coffee with you. It is an honor to be here. Huge fangirl from afar. You train dogs wing shooter. Uh, I mean, you name it, you take your daughter with you. I love everything about your mission and what you do. So it's, it's really my honor to be on this podcast. Oh, well, I kind of fangirl about you too, because you do things that I wish I'd known when I was your age. <laughs> I, I listen, you know, you get into this role on serving on the Arkansas Game and Fish Commission. I'm coming up on my fourth year. I'm just now getting the hang of it. And you go into this and you don't know everything. There's no handbook on what it is to be a commissioner. Uh, I don't know if you're familiar with this, but there are seven commissioners. There's actually eight commissioners, seven voting uh, and one non-voting, Dr. Stephen Bupre. He is the head of biology and zoology for the University of Arkansas. And according to our bylaws, he is our uh, eighth non-voting member and helps us a ton on the science side uh, of our resources. But there's seven of us uh, and it's appointed to a seven year term by the governor. And, you know, you have this idea about what goes on behind the scenes, what do commissioners do? And then you get there and you're like, wow, I thought that I knew a lot, but I really don't. So I just got to sit back and listen and go hang out with the staff doing stuff in the field, um, spending time at the office with our directorate. I mean, so I'm constantly learning too, because that's important because we set the rules and regulations for all fish and wildlife in the state of Arkansas. So what set you into um, this path? Like what was your background to where the governor says, we need you, the youngest person ever sat on the board for the state of Arkansas and a female to join this, this board? My passion for the outdoors. That, that's that's really it. Uh, I know that that sounds really simple, but uh, that's that's what spurred it. And I'm actually I'm the second youngest. The youngest was Whit Stevens Jr. He was appointed no. I think, when he was 25 years old. I was appointed just before my 28th birthday. Uh, so, but Wit was the youngest. And also I, um, I'm not actually the first woman to serve on the game and fish commission. People have titled that and said that, but I'm quick to correct and say, actually it was Pat Peacock. She was appointed in the nineties. She's from Stuttgart, Arkansas world duck calling champion. And she is just amazing, honestly, an inspiration to me. Uh, and she only got to serve for a year though. She mm -hmm. was appointed to fill out somebody else's term who had actually suddenly passed away. And so whenever you're appointed to the commission, it's a seven year term or you're appointed to fill out somebody else's and you can't gotcha. go back and do it again. It's oh, you get one shot. She got, dang. I know. I know. And uh, she actually passed away from from Alzheimer's disease. I think it was two years ago. So I was really hoping to whenever I was. Uh, appointed to this position. I was really hoping to get to know her, uh, bounce ideas off of her. And I hate it that I didn't get to, but I have met her family. They're all wonderful folks. And uh, I'm proud to be the second woman. That's so cool. Well, yeah, yeah, there there are a lot of, I guess, 
mis <laughs> miscommunication on the internet. Oh, I mean, yeah, they, but that's the world we live in. I mean, you know, news is can be miscommunicated all the time, but we do the best uh, our journalists do with what they have, and that's that's just how it is. So, what's a day like in in your world? Like in my world, well, as you can see, uh, this is no makeup in the morning. Uh, I've got on my workout clothes. I get up and I exercise. I think that is one of the most important things that we could do for ourselves, uh, for our body and for our mind too. So I'm a big believer in that. So typically I get up about 5.15, 5.30, sometimes earlier. It really depends and have a cup of coffee. And then I go to the gym. And then I start my day from there. I check emails. I'll watch the news. I read the newspaper. And then I will do whatever I need to do that day, whether it be Game and Fish, whether it be going to my job at Arkansas Bolt Company. It, you know, I, I wouldn't say that there's a normal day for me ever, uh, to be, <laughs> be honest. Uh, I, there are things that I am regimented about uh, that I do, such as coffee. we got to have coffee. In the oh, morning. my gosh. Right. Oh, live off that. I could feed my dogs, of course, and go from there. So you probably hear my dogs in the background. They're actually slurping water as loud as they possibly can, because I don't know what the weather's like where you are, but it is hot. It's too hot to fish in Arkansas right now. It's too hot to walk the dog. It's too hot to go throw a bumper for my dog. But hopefully well, we have that I'm in Reno. Oh, I forgot about that. You are Nevada. So yeah, yeah. You're, you're in the dry hot. Yeah. And so, I mean, the dogs don't want to, I mean, I wouldn't put them out on the concrete, you know, and run them down the road or anything, but, um, as for just hanging out in the uh, outside, the kids are in the pool all, every afternoon and it is oh so gosh. nice. And that was what my eight-year-old said. She's like, you know, it's just so nice to want to be outside. And I'm <laughs> like, it's, it's bad when the eight-year-old says that. <laughs> Oh my gosh. I mean, see here, it's like, it's humid. I mean, right now, snakes, alligators, you name it, are out in South Arkansas, actually where, uh, where our farm is. So, you know, I, yeah, I still go, I still go down there. I just don't take the dogs with me. One, yeah. One deals. But, uh, you know, hopefully it'll cool down here in the next month and a half. And then we have hunting season on the horizon. I mean, I don't know about you, but I'm so ready. Season, is right around the corner. And that is the unofficial kickoff to fall for me. I know it's still technically summer, yeah. but once dub season happens on Labor Day weekend, it's like, we're there. And it's so bad because when I was in Georgia, I would go with a friend and we went down to middle Georgia to her daddy's farm and he hosted a massive dove hunt. And it just became an oh. annual event that she and I did with our girls. So and fun. It's so fun. And we were miserable. I look back at all the pictures and I'm like, we are like you can see the heat and the in our expressions on the face and like this is not fun but you can't wait till noon you got to go get out there you got to get the right bell you know like, you do you can't miss it and so it is i think that is such a great tradition and um amber with mckenna quinn she was just talking about dove season two that's something she does with her daddy and, I love McKenna Quinn. Side yeah. note, they have the most comfortable uh, pants that I wear when I go quail hunt down in Georgia. Yeah. Oh my gosh. And they're very, they're very stylish. I mean, I, they I are really, like, I wear I them compliments. out. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, I'm all about so, it. I know I've seen you in them. I was totally influenced by you on those. Just saying. No way. Yes. Well, I was like, she, what is, this she is announcing something new. Oh, really? 
And you're going to love this because she is launching this October a sporting clay clothing line. So it'll be active wear. Oh my goodness. Yeah. Like we're talking like joggers, like that kind of active wear. She didn't go into detail, but it's going to be shooting attire for sporting clay or like for clay shooters. So I am so excited about that. Yeah. Yeah. Me too. Yeah. Especially it's so hard for me to find, um, cause you know, I, you're tall. I mean, I, I feel like it's hard for me to find, uh, ladies clothes that fit right. Like I'm long torso, long legs. And, uh, it, I feel like we've come really far on the women's clothing line, which I'm very appreciative of. Uh, but McKenna Quinn, they really tailor everything just kind of perfectly to you. And I, I've never met the owner or anything like that. I'm just putting a plug in because I'm a huge fan. Okay. Well, we're going to change that because she's one of my closest friends. <laughs> uh-huh, we got to make that happen. Okay. And something else I am headed to Arkansas, like in, Oh, in just like seven days. What? What are yeah. you doing? We're coming to the Delta waterfowl um, convention. Will you be there? No, I'm going out of town. Oh my gosh. I am. I've had this trip planned with my brother and his wife and kids and my husband. Uh, We've had it planned for a while and I am just sick that I'm going to miss that. Well, I'm so excited because let me tell you about, well, Ducks Unlimited launched my entire shotgun career because I was a pistol shooting deer hunting, turkey hunting. I mean, not that we don't use a shotgun to shoot turkeys, but I'm definitely was not a wing shooter. Mm-hmm. Um, before DU said, come on and, ho- and, and help us bring more women into our local chapter. Yeah. And I got set up, um, to host an event and it was like epic failure. I pulled it off. I have no idea, but that's how I ended up getting my, my coach and selling out to all this. But Delta waterfowl actually, um, hosted a duck hunt for my daughter, my oldest Because she'd never been, and because I was like, she ain't never going to duck hunt with me. I was with, um, I was at Caliber in Birmingham, Alabama for Uh an event for Kim and BC with Ren and Ivy. And Mm -hmm. the Alabama Delta Waterfowl guy was there. And Kim and I just hit it off and we were talking about it. And he was like, I'm putting a hunt together. So I literally went duck hunting with Delta Water, or yeah, with them because of, my kid who was a teenager and they were so upset that she would never get to duck hunt. Cause I was just a quail hunter. <laughs> wow. Well, talk yeah. about being at the right place at the right time. Isn't it funny how those things happen? Yeah. And I, I just, I, listen, my, my husband and I, we don't have any children, but someday when we do have children, I mean, I want to raise them just like you have like taking them, taking them with you. My dad did that to me. And I mean, whether it was just me sitting on a box of shotgun shells out out in the field with them. I mean, we just had so much fun. And those are my most treasured memories from growing up. And it shaped who I am. And it shaped the position that I'm in. Yeah. I mean, it is. Well, I started this whole podcast just to talk about the heart of the American hunter and just what wing shooting does because it's it is so built around tradition and relationships mm-hmm. and those moments and and with the dogs, like it it just brings hunting a new high. It really does. And, uh, you know, with these ladies hunts, I love that we're seeing more and more of that, but not just ladies hunts, seeing more young adults getting out and learning to hunt. You mentioned Delta waterfowl earlier. I actually helped out with their university hunt program. It's 
It's awesome. Big R3 effort around the country where uh, each university has a chapter and they go out and say you're getting a biology degree uh, involving wildlife. And the goal is, okay, all these students who are getting these degrees, a lot of them have never hunted before, which is kind of crazy. It's what they want to study is wildlife Um, and they've never hunted. So this is their opportunity. Yes. Oh yeah. And I took a group out this year and we had so much fun, but Anna, it was, I got to tell you, it was one of the funniest hunts I've ever been on. I mean, this is everything went wrong, but also went so right. So we get, I host them down at our place called the hasty Drake and we do dinner. We do the full duck camp experience cooking some, I actually smoked some duck breast that night and I did a little uh, charcuterie board. Oh, so Mm -hmm. good. And then hung out by the fire next morning, supposed to be beautiful, sun shining day, perfect for the timber. It was overcast. It was like, the worst day to go out and hunt the timber. And we did not see a thing flying. I mean, it was just, uh, you know, what am I going to do? It's cold. Uh, I don't know what they think, but everyone was so excited. You know, they got in their hunter's ed, had their shotguns. And all of a sudden <laughs> we get this group of shovelers that come in and they just blast at them and they ended up getting all these ducks that people would normally consider, you know, trash ducks. I don't think they're trash ducks. I think any duck's a good duck. Yeah. And I mean, they were so excited. They were high-fiving. I mean, some people got their very first duck ever and I got to be a part of that and they wanted to go back and they did go back. I mean, Oh, that's so cool. On their own, they went back because they had the tools that they needed to get started all because of an organization like Delta Waterfowl. And I know Ducks Unlimited does a lot of R3 efforts too. And so so does Quail Forever. I mean, so many organizations. It's just getting out and doing it because you and I both know that hunting, you know, you and I grew up doing it. So it's, it's different, but outside looking in and talking to people, it's intimidating. It is. There's there's a lot that goes into it. You look at the gear, you know, the firearm, everything. So how do we get more people comfortable with it? Well, we reach out to these non-government organizations and partner with them. So that's something that I'm very passionate about. Yeah. And we share that passion because my best friends came from being involved with conservation organizations. Mm -hmm. And I, I went to the first one and I hope this inspires whoever's listening to when Because it is intimidating, right? You're going to this thing and everybody's going to know you're the newbie. Or at least you feel like that. Right. And our DU banquet back home is at the country club. And it's the only time that that entire parking lot's full of jacked up pickups, right? Wait. It's hilarious. And I I had no idea what to expect. And they said, bring your booth. Because this is when I was doing ladies pistol basics. And just share with all the guys what you have to offer. We're going to try to get their wives involved. And I'm like, well, this is a great plan. Sounds Mm -hmm. great. Well, when we got there, I didn't realize that there was one other female there who was a wife of a guy that buys a table every year. Besides me and the two women, my girlfriends that I brought to help me. And it was really emotional support, right? Because I'm like, this is, this really is a lot of pressure because I had done Bass Pro events, like those events everywhere, like uh, trade shows and all that stuff. But yeah. Going to a banquet, you're right, it is. But I, it, I mean, it was a pivotal moment for me. It changed my entire life. 
I always give Mercy, my first dog, that credit, but I really do think that because the next thing I knew, I was the the female that was sitting on the committee, and I was the only committee, and I never even duck hunted, and I and I own short hairs. It's like this don't even make sense, but they were so welcoming and encouraging and because you were that person where they were like, "Hey, this girl may not duck hunt, but she cares about conservation. It all falls into one into one pot. It really does." This topic comes up every single podcast. Every every single podcast I have, this topic comes up. But something that I want you to talk about more because I don't I when you get into this world and you start seeing the behind the scenes things, you realize that not everybody's on the same page. And mm-hmm. I was raised in a gun home and a hunting home. I mean, we had gun cleaning parties, like it was normal. Go get bold peanuts on the corner and everybody sits around and cleans guns or whatever. And so my kind of party. Yeah. I mean, my dad's really cool like that. A redneck, (laughs) redneck kind of cool. I think it's cool. I mean, especially when you're, yeah, growing up, you think it's super cool and and it does great. Good. My husband and I do that in the garage all the time. We're like, okay, get the guns ready. Yesterday it was tuning up bows. Anyway, continue. (laughs) Yeah. But I came in with, um, a mentality that everybody that was connected to the outdoors was a pro second amendment, pro hunting belief. And it has rocked my world to find out that it's not always like that. Mm-hmm. And I, and I just feel like the the rest of the world is clueless because all the organizations that we go to, everybody that supports them, the members, they're hunters. Mm-hmm. That's but right. Not every wildlife biologist believes that we should like they're not out there building numbers so that we can go hunting. Not every single one of them is of that yeah. mentality, you know. Uh, gosh, where to get started? I, and the, I mean, like, you're so you're so right, because you and I you and I were raised around that. And it is it is kind of second nature. I'll tell you one thing that's going in our favor right now. And this is happening. You mentioned Alabama earlier. So I'm going to, I'm going to use them and I'm going to use Arkansas. Their youth shooting sports program has gotten so big. And so has ours. Ours is one of the largest in the country for going out and trap shooting. And I think that as far as the future goes for people, I guess, getting more comfortable with firearms, Mm -hmm. I think that's a great way to start. And it's funny because you know, you think, okay, you are on the trap shooting team for your middle school or high school, but you don't hunt. A lot of those kids don't hunt. No, they don't. And and it's not just the kids. So I got sucked into the sporting clay world for a while uh-huh. and wasn't running my dogs. Um, and what I found was clay shooters aren't necessarily hunters, but mm-hmm. hunters are clay shooters. Right. Exactly. And yeah. that is, that is 100% spot on. Cause I've learned that too, because I had this perception that, you know, Oh, you shoot sporting clay, surely you hunt. No, that's, that's not the case, but it, it's a really, you know, back on putting my game and fish hat on. It's a, it's a really cool program to get people out and get them started. Uh, goes back to the whole intimidation factor in firearms and, you know, not being raised around it. And a lot of people, it gives them a sport to, to play, you know, some people aren't going to go do basketball or football or golf or anything like that. So going out and joining your sporting clays team or even archery team is a great way to get started. And then it segues into, you know, I really like this. Maybe I'll go out and get my hunting license and, you know, give this a shot. Maybe reach out to Delta waterfowl, ducks unlimited quail forever, 
whatever organization it is and learn more about this. But back to, you know, guns and the Second Amendment and the world that we live in. I need to send you this article. My my friend Brian Hendricks wrote a really good piece in the Arkansas Democrat Gazette newspaper uh, this past Sunday about it and how yeah yeah everything that's going on. I mean it's so sad and uh, and you know wrong and everything gets perceived that way. And anyway, I, I just need to I need to send it to you. I don't want to get up on a political platform here, but. Uh, I, I don't know what the solution is. I really, I really don't. It's, it's a, it's a well, sad I think reality. the solution starts with awareness. Yes. And I, and I think that people like hunters, it's just assumed that the wildlife industry is about the outdoors mm-hmm. and That's our right. outdoor industry, a- which we assume is all about hunting. And it, right. And, it just and there's a down. lot of non-consumptive users. Yeah. Oh Yeah. Bird but watchers, I everything. hope that those things like strike um, a motive with people that haven't committed to these organizations that they find their home organization or get involved in multiple because you find a lot of people across Georgia that just banquet hop. You know, it's so fun. It's like friend reunion, you know, because mm-hmm. banquet organizations only really have one banquet a year. So right. unless you go to multiple banquets, then you only get to see those people once. Mm hmm. No, so, that's right. Yeah, that's a perfect so, way to start and learn about it. Yeah, because once you once you get into that, then of course you're you make more friends, you have more hunting opportunities. It's just it everything that you love about the outdoors just gets better. I mean, I've made some of my dearest friends through those organizations, and especially in the last few years. I mean, people that I never thought that I would meet, and it's been through hunting and fishing, and uh, we've stayed in contact. Because we share a love for something and uh, we can always talk about it. So, and it's people from all walks of life, people that, um, I mean, that I I never would have met because of it, all all that to say. I mean, I think that's pretty clear. Mm, I think that's so true too. And, and I think that no matter what sports kids play, talking about that, getting involved with shooting teams, there's no other sport because I was a really big basketball player played college soccer I coached high school soccer um there's nothing that builds confidence in youth like shooting sports yes 100 percent agreed because it's you know you get the hang of it you're like okay this is this is my calling this is what i'm good at and prime example we have a product of our youth shooting sports program kaylee browning she went to the olympics yep Last year, won a silver medal representing our country. How cool is that? That's so cool. It could, I mean, it, it really could is take cool. you all over the world. And I, I preach that to people. They're like, shooting sports. I'm like, uh, yeah, it's a big deal. Get, if you're interested, get your kids signed up for it because well, it is super amazing. cool. My coach and I started a youth team a few years back, and um, I never seen parents so gung-ho about um their kids sports i thought travel team baseball was where it was at that those baseball moms had trumped everybody until i saw you like the sctp oh my gosh and they have like tricked out side by sides and everybody's got their rvs and i'm like 
holy smokes, this looks like <laughs> Talladega for youth shooting sports is exactly what it was like. Hailgates, the whole deal. Yes, awesome. it was so cool. And just to see these parents, like they, of course, they weren't shooting right then, but to know these, they probably shoot as for a family when they go back home. You know, yeah. they're probably there doing family activities all the time together. But um, it's an individual sport. So kids can literally shoot anywhere. If you decide you want to go on vacation somewhere and you're just going to do, you know, shooting, then you can shoot anywhere because there's tournaments all over the country. But yeah, I thought that was the coolest thing to watch the families do this together because I, I, I'd never seen anything like it. See, and that's something that I really want to get more, even more involved in myself as a sport. I mean, I'm, I'm not going to sit here and be like, oh, like I'm a great shot. No, I need so much help. I need you as my coach, honestly, okay. crap shooting. I mean, it's intimidating to me. It, it is. I'm really, I'm really not that great at it. It gets in my, I mean, it's one of those mind games. It's kind of like playing golf. Like you'll get something exactly. in your head and then, you know, you can, you can blow up at any time. So it's, it's tough. So well, shooting sports is definitely a whole nother level. And it's one of those skills that you use it or you lose it. And so when I was competing uh, with clays, I was shooting five or six days a week, 250 rounds minimum a day. It is 1000 degrees outside. Not really. It's like a hundred <laughs> degrees though in Arkansas. I, I can't think of anything that I would rather not, I mean, uh, -uh. there's, there's no way you'd catch me out shooting today, but there's so many tough people who are doing it right now. And I admire, yeah. oh my goodness, but six days a week, 250 rounds. I had to, but I did Those it. Those are for expensive like, now. <laughs> I know it was a different time. And I was so fortunate to get that, that moment. I, I look back and I don't, I don't know how I got that opportunity. Honestly, wow. I, I just did it. I didn't think twice about it. I drove an hour and a half over the mountain each way to go shoot at Garland Mountain Sporting Clays. If you're in North Georgia, in Waleska, there is the coolest clay course. It sits on top of the mountain. The views are amazing. Their lodge is insane. The food's great. I mean, it's just, it's, it's the coolest place. And I, I miss having that because they build shooters and they have multiple courses um, for levels of difficulty. But in the winter, the wind always blows. I mean, they, they prepare you for everything. <laughs> it's tough. Yeah. Every kind of condition possible. Yeah. Gosh. I love it. So now tell me, I know that you're really passionate about dogs. How many dogs do you have right now? Mm, I have four. Just four. four. Yeah. Lucky. I would have like eight if I could, but I think my husband would not like that. Well, it's funny because I showed up at duck camp this last year. When I showed up at Chad's duck camp, I had 15 dogs with me. I had all my client dogs. I was coming back south from traveling the Midwest. And he's like, what in the world? Like filming all day and taking care of all these dogs. It was nonstop. So I thought, well, I better make some changes. I don't think I can keep this up. So I, um, a few dogs that I had just gotten for tournament hunting and was raising for tournament hunting, knowing that I wasn't going to do that anymore. Um, yeah. I found them a great home well, and good. yeah. And so they're hunting all the time and they'll be used for their potential. And, um, and then I kept the ones like mercy that, you know, my first bird dog, tater bugs, Dolly, 
my first lab, and then I kept one of Mercy's pups. Tater so, bug is quite the trainer, by the way. Uh, well, those the the Huntsmith family has been good to her, and then <laughs> she, you know, we got into hunt testing because she was never going to be able to um, have the independence that she wanted for mm -hmm. so long. You know, I mean, she got her bird dog when she was three. Well, I didn't know. I didn't know that you don't get a kid a pointer <laughs> because they can't oh. shoot for themselves until they're like 12, you know? So. <laughs> oh my goodness. You're like, okay, maybe this didn't go as I thought it would. <laughs> it didn't. It, I mean, we were horse but, showing at the time. So that dog went everywhere. And to have 200 horses at big shows and Hallie was like five, this short hair healed with her everywhere. And it, it's been amazing to watch because it was really special and, and they still hang out all the time. But it was been really cool to see her have independence and run dogs and do the whole retriever game. I love it. I didn't know that I would love it as I mean, much as I do. Teaching her responsibility and she will be so much more mature because of that and just beyond her years. Oh my gosh. So I think, I think that you're instilling in her some really cool life lessons by doing that. I know my, my dad got me my first retriever. He surprised me when I was in the seventh grade, a black lab named Boomer. And oh my gosh, I loved getting up and hanging out with that dog, letting him out, feeding him. I mean, it was a whole new ball game, especially being in middle school, but uh, you know, that dog taught me, taught me a lot about responsibility and okay, this is another creature that you have to care for or yeah. someone, I mean, you know, someone else isn't going to do it for you. And I, I thoroughly enjoyed it. And he, he was just my buddy and my companion. I had him until 2016 and he died in my arms. And I still think about him all the time. My, my OG dog. Oh, and I actually have his, I guess it's his nephew right now baron so the the lineage lives on oh that's that's super special and that's really what i wanted to do with mercy i i did everything wrong with my first dog yeah so i'm like mm, i'll keep your daughter and start over and do it right <laughs> oh my gosh it, it's funny how you learn that because i did so many wrong things with my first dog obviously i was so young and i had help training him i had a trainer and everything but he lived in little rock and i'd go see him every week and then uh, even my dog that I have now, I'm like, oh, should have done this, should have done that. But that's OK, because I know I'm going to get another one and I know I can improve on that. It's just like going hunting or going fishing and getting started with that. You build on it. It's not going to happen overnight. You're going to figure it out over time yeah. and you just have to keep on doing it no matter how frustrated you get. Well, that's how I feel about Littles right now. I, I wish I'd just sent her off to be ready for duck season, knowing that we're going to spend so much time there. She's a rock star pheasant dog. She's got all of her upland training. Yeah. Um, but her upland training will get so much better once she has her waterfowl training. They oh really gosh. do go hand in hand. And um, where are you going? Duck was, uh, well, we'll be traveling and filming with the fowl life. So Sweet. we'll start out in uh, September, I think. We head for Teal in Texas. Like oh, September. I heard that's a fun hunt. Yep. And then that'll kick it off. And there's some really cool stuff coming up. Um, upstate New York and Florida, like places that I haven't been before yeah. for hunting for hunting. So I'm looking forward to it. And then along the way we'll shoot our birds. 
There you go. I, yeah. I've actually, I've hunted in upstate New York before. It was kind of a last minute thing, but my brother-in-law and sister-in-law live in New York city and we got invited to go on a pheasant hunt up there. It was a lot of fun. You get outside of New York city, rolling Hills. It's, it's beautiful. Oh yeah. That it really, it really is the Catskill mountains up there and stuff is really, really pretty. Oh, it's gorgeous. But you know, nothing beats those tall pines in Georgia. That's true. Going down there. We hunt off the Flint River uh, yep. in South Georgia. And we that I look forward to that trip every single year. Well, there's a place on the Flint River that I go to. And um, you're right. I was, we were talking about conservation and how the organizations can help property owners properly manage the property for wildlife. Oh, I can go on and on about that. Yeah. So not only like, is it about timber now, but it's the CRP, it's the burning, you know, be way more educational and, and more focused on quail than just deer, you know, and because yeah. it all, it helps everybody. Exactly. So, Doing yeah. habitat work for multi-species. And that's actually something that Arkansas Game and Fish focuses on too. Uh, you know, whatever we do, we want it to be beneficial for deer, for turkey, for quail, for the monarch butterfly. I mean, it it all plays hand in hand and it's incredibly important. Uh, I, okay, I am totally geeking out on this. I took a two and a half day seminar through the National Deer Association. It was their Deer Stewards one, Level 1 program. I've been wanting to do it forever. And they came to Arkansas and so I did the seminar pretty much everything that I've been doing for deer hunting. And I'm a fairly new deer hunter. Like I, I started kind of on my own probably seven years ago. Everything that I thought was right is wrong. I, I mean, I was sitting there like, oh my gosh, I shouldn't have been having, uh, having that bush hogged and I shouldn't have, I, I shouldn't have, uh, you know, planted this here. There's so much that goes into it, but that's okay. Because now mm -hmm. I'm going to go back and improve it for the future. It, because I use that resource with the non-government agency. Yeah. So, uh, oh my gosh, but yeah, the habitat work and same, same work for ducks. That's something else that I'm working on right now uh, at our place, because it, it's funny. I don't know if you noticed this with quail hunting, but growing, growing up, duck hunting was just, it, it was different in Arkansas. And by different, I mean, it felt like no matter what, the ducks were always going to come here, no matter mm -hmm. really the conditions, anything. And nowadays, sophistication in farming has come a long, long way. And there's not a lot of grains left on the ground, which is fine. I'm a huge fan of the farmer. Uh, so not as much rice stubble left back here. Um, the weather has gotten warmer, uh, loss of habitat in general. Right now, uh, we have oak trees that are that have reached you know, the point where, oh my gosh, they're dying. We're starting to see dieback on them. So the past 20 years, it's slowly, slowly changed. And so we as hunters and how, and land managers, we have to change with it and say, okay, we've been doing this for so long. Maybe we need to go in and talk to our farmer about leaving more, more food for ducks. Maybe we need to go in and do a more soil plot so that the ducks can have a sanctuary when they get here. We need to go in and thin out our forest. Things that we really never thought that we'd be doing. And now we're getting to the point where we have to do it. And, you know, we're, are we a little late? This is me personally. I'm not talking about just the whole state in general. But are we late? Yeah, we are. 
but it's never too late to go back and fix something. I, I really do. We're not to the point of no return and it's going to take time. We're not going to, you know, it's, we're not going to fix this overnight, but we have to do it not just for our hunting, but in general to be good stewards of wildlife. Right. Which that is our focus to make sure that we keep hunting. Exactly. <laughs> if we don't provide proper habitat, how do we make it sustainable for the future? And how do we get more people involved? It's, it's, it's simple. It, it is. It's that simple and it's hard. And, you know, as a commissioner, we have hard decisions that we have to make. We, we like really share, do. tell us, tell us what Oh that's gosh. Like. Okay. Let me get on my soapbox. <laughs> no, um, this past year we changed our green tree reservoir management. You know, I mentioned dieback and oak trees. We started to see that, you know, when these green tree reservoirs were constructed, you know, 50, 60 years ago, we didn't know that leaving water on trees was a bad thing. You know, the science wasn't there. We figured out, oh my gosh, when you, when the river gets up and the bio in these trees, and there's water on these trees, ducks love it. Let's build levees and let's make it to where we, we can make this happen. And then you look down the road and you're seeing a bunch of trees dying and you're thinking, okay, maybe, maybe something, maybe something's had to change. Maybe it's something that we did. And you know, it, no one knew it, it was an innocent deal and we do it on private land too. And so now we're having to go back and not put boards in when people are used to there's, you know, not water in places that are normally flooded by the third week of November for duck season. And people get pretty, pretty animated about it. It's, it's hard. And, you know, we have to balance science and public opinion and that's where it gets difficult. However, I have to give credit where credit is due to our director and our communications people because they have knocked it out of the park with going out and doing public meetings and the commissioners have been side by side with them uh, going out and communicating these changes and why we're doing it because I think communication is key. Yeah, me um, too. It, it is. And um, so that's something that's, since I've been on the commission, I'd say that's the biggest, the biggest thing that's, that's happened to where we just had questions from all over the state of Arkansas. I mean, and people still write, oh, you know, you, you guys, y'all, y'all ruined Arkansas duck hunting by this plant. No, no, we're trying to save it for the future. And luckily these areas still flood. They flood naturally, mm -hmm. which is great. Uh, we just, unfortunately, we got, we got to be a little bit more patient. and you know, the state of Arkansas, our public lands are only a small portion of it. And so getting private landowners on board, our state's 90% privately owned. We got That is amazing. Yes. So private landowners have to do their part too. And that's why I'm doing this, Anna, as a land manager with my family, we back up to one of the most popular duck hunting wildlife management areas in the world, in the world. It's world famous, Balmeda. And in order for not just us, but our neighbors and public land hunters to have good hunting, we have to do that work too. And so do our, so do our neighbors. I mean, it all plays hand in hand. So conservation is, there's a lot of pieces to the puzzle and you have to make them fit. Yeah, I know. And, and you're right about communication. 
I just, I've just shared over and over and over how people need to get involved because you can't ever know it all. And every organization has its niche. And it's really cool to see organizations working together and trying to use their knowledge to benefit everyone. Oh, absolutely. And we couldn't do what we do at the Arkansas Game and Fish Commission without our partners and without our hunters and without our anglers. There's so much that goes into it. And uh, for instance, we talked about Ducks Unlimited earlier. They're helping us with this Green Tree Reservoir project by raising funds to go into it. Because there's, there's a lot of infrastructure work that needs to be done with it. Oh, that's so funny that you talk about because um, I did I did a podcast episode with um, Jeff Barnes, who just um, came out of his uh, two years of state chairman for du in georgia oh my and gosh. we were talking all about how much money we raised in georgia and he's like you know he said it's just amazing because no matter how much money we raise in georgia we're never gonna have ducks in georgia <laughs> we're gonna we're gonna raise money and send it to you i love it well and it goes back into you know another thing they're like why why are y'all support ducks unlimited they're putting all their money in canada you know canada Canada doesn't have a farm bill like we do in the United States. We're very lucky to have something like the farm bill to offer these conservation incentives, such as uh, wetlands reserve uh, program, um, CRP that's, well, not through the farm bill, that's through your ag extension center, uh, equip, et cetera. And in Canada, they don't have that. It's kind of, you know, I'm going to farm this as kind of a free for all. Now there are people who care about conservation, but Ducks Unlimited puts those puts that money into Canada, into the Prairie Pothole region to conserve it. And I know Delta Waterfowl does that up in the Dakotas and um, in Canada as well. Um, so, you know, those, those organizations are extremely important and they help here in the United States, just like uh, our non-government agencies are doing with our Green Tree Reservoir project. Yeah, well, they recognize that Canada needed help. And helping Canada helps the helps us here. Oh, it does. It does. It helps the whole flyway. I'm trying to think. Um, I know that you you got on a podcast. I think it was with Robbie a while back and talked about chronic wasting disease. That's yeah. been that's been something that's uh, a big topic here in Arkansas. And another topic where we've had to make some difficult decisions. Uh, that oh my gosh, it's uh, you know. Where right now, I think the craziest thing about chronic wasting disease is that we know a lot about it, but we don't know everything about it. There's probably more unknowns than anything about this prion disease. And while, you know, thank goodness there's no evidence of it uh, transmitting to humans or anything like that. And I hope it, I hope it stays that way. Uh, but as far as our management goals, this is one where it was tough because we had to put in some baiting and feeding restrictions uh, to not have the deer artificially congregate um, because, you know, it spread through saliva, bodily fluids, et cetera. Um, so it's kind of it's kind of hard to tell somebody that they're not able to do that on their private land. That's something that I, I really struggled with. Yeah. But in the end, we have to we have to do what's best for the resource. And if the resource in there, then what do we have? Right. Well, it sounds like you guys are doing an amazing job building relationships so that everybody can work together. Yes, absolutely. And a lot of that goes into our leadership. I really, truly believe that. I, I don't know if you're aware, but a year ago, we hired our new director, Austin Booth. 
and he is our youngest director ever. Um, hired him at, I think just before his 35th birthday or maybe before his 36. Anyway. Wow. But, uh, he's been fantastic. And, uh, the group and the employees at the Arkansas Game and Fish are amazing. Oh my gosh. I, that's the biggest joy that I have. Yes. It's great to teach people how to hunt and fish, but the greatest satisfaction that I've got out of this job is spending time with our people in the field, spending time with them, getting to know them and learning because you don't come to work at the Arkansas Game and Fish Commission because you want to make a million dollars and you know, all that you do it because it's what you were called to do and it's what you love to do. And it's been inspiring to me. It's helped a lot with my personal development um, as a person, as a land manager, as a hunter, as an angler. Wow. You just answered my favorite question and I didn't even have to answer or ask it. <laughs> I get a little touchy feely on these sometimes. I mean, I just, I, I think it's so it. important. Like there's so much information and in podcast about how to's. You know, and I could talk all day long and get geeked out about shooting techniques or dog training or whatever, but without the heart of a hunter, without that motivation, none of that stuff matters because like your job, you you see how scary it is about our future and our opportunities, you know, and not everybody is aware of that. And so it's like, I just, I hope that people listen to it and they feel that themselves and, and they get all emotional about their own traditions and it inspires them to make a difference in their world because we need everybody making a difference in their bubble. Mm -hmm. That's right. We got to, we have to break out of these silos, break out of our bubble, go do, go do something different. Um, and people that you normally wouldn't be around, I I don't see any, anything as a boundary. I, I love people in general, even if they are so incredibly different than me, I want to hear their story. I want to hear what they're all about and get to know them and spend time with them. Uh, actually a, a really uh, good friend of mine from growing up who I hadn't seen in forever reached out to me recently and said, Amory, do you want to go bird watching with me? She's a huge birder and it's cool. <laughs> oh, oh my gosh. And I said, actually I've seen your pictures and yeah, yeah, I do. I mean, just connecting, you know, old friendships like that too. And so we're, we're going to go out to a management area here in Arkansas and go birding something, you know, I, okay. I, I bird watch in the backyard, but. <laughs> well, and, and as a bird hunter, like the last thing that you think about doing is just going and watching them, but we've got this hummingbird that visits us Ooh. every evening. Oh my God. I'm putting feeders out for him, everything. Like we're going to name him. I mean, literally oh. just comes to visit every day. Absolutely. And I. I look for him now. I'm like, I'd be disappointed if my bird didn't come and visit, you know? And it's oh. so crazy how you get attached to nature. And I'm sure there are people that do that with their deer. They come into the backyard or oh, I, I would love to have a pet coon. Oh my <laughs> that gosh. Would be like the best no. thing for me. Yes. Hey, they're kind of cute looking. I, I think that they could be a lot more trouble than they're worth. So I'm going to leave that to you. I would. <laughs> I would take one with me all the time, sitting shotgun, mercy and my coon. Yeah. Do you, do you follow, um, oh gosh, there's a raccoon that I follow on Instagram because I follow more animals than people on Instagram. Okay, I didn't even know that existed, but please share. Pumpkin, the raccoon. And, and this raccoon lives in the Bahamas and it's like taking bubble baths. And also, I mean, it's hilarious. And this raccoon, I mean, is eating human food. I'm like, I've been following this 
this raccoon for probably six years. So I don't know how old, <laughs> I don't know how old he is, but he's living the life. Yeah. So if we ever live on a farm, I think that if one needed um, rehabbing, call Anna V. She will love that thing its entire life. Yeah. Oh my gosh. I love that. You, you would make the perfect animal rehabber. Oh my gosh. <laughs> it just hit me. I think that you found your calling. You need to go buy a hundred acres, run your dogs, have your kennels, that whole deal. And just... well, that's what, that's what I was doing in Georgia. That was the backyard with my big kennel. But you know, like you say, sometimes your calling takes you in a different direction. And I never, yeah. I mean, I really thought that I was headed back to Georgia and going to really plant roots for a change and stay in one place because I wasn't tournament hunting anymore. I'd, I'd set my goals and I achieved everything I wanted to achieve through there. And, um, and then I wanted to share this love of the dogs <laughs> with everybody, uh -huh. right? Like getting people their first bird dog or watching them. I don't know if there's anything cooler than that. I'm a, I'm a huge fan of animals and owning animals because you have uh, that love affair with that, with that dog and you get so attached to it and you literally watch it from a puppy all the way into old age when they're so sweet. And the worst day of your life, uh, in my opinion, is when, you know, that dog moves on to greener pastures and, it, you know, it's, but I'll, I'll put myself through that over and over again because of the unconditional love that they give me. Oh yeah. And I have my dogs cremated. I said, they're just all going to oh, get buried too. with me. Oh no. I've got, if you, there's, there's Boomer up there on the, yeah. up there on the shelf. Yep. Yeah, I and it, it's, of him. Yep. It's so important. And, um, I had a friend who is very young and, and her dog just passed out of the blue, just unexpectedly. And that's what I told her. I said, unless you know that you have family land that's never going to um, be sold or, you know, because you, at your age, you're going to move away. You know, that's that would be the hardest thing ever is to like know that my dog was buried under a tree and I had to leave it. Oh, right there with you. Um, I mean, uh, yeah, they they come with me. I don't know. I've thought about I hadn't done this because I, I have to wait till I'm ready. I really would like to spread Boomer's ashes in his favorite spot to hunt. That I'm too I, selfish. I think I, know, <laughs> I, I know. And then I'm selfish, but I, I think that that's a good way to honor him. I just, I, with time I'll do it. I just hadn't done it yet. Yeah. Well, where the red fern grows, my first dog I ever had was a red bone hound named Honey Bell. I thought and, you were going to say Dan and Ann. No, she was Honey <laughs> Bell. And, um, and but that movie and the book, I I don't know how many times I've read the book, but that was just the biggest impression on me as when I was young. And never did I think that I would get into gun dogs and having those working dogs. And maybe that's why I love coon so much. I don't know because my red bone hound. But I love hunting anything with dogs. I have ran bear with hounds, and if I wasn't a bird hunter, I would have a truck full of walkers. <laughs> that is. Oh my gosh. You wait, tell me about running bear with dogs. I, I got to hear about this. Um, well, I went to West Virginia and okay, this, this is the most fun hunting I think that I've ever done. You get the houndsmen, they all drive Toyotas cause you're on a dirt road and they can, uh -huh. they, they move easily. Oh, yeah. Right. So it's a smaller pickup, never get stuck. They have a big cage that covers the entire bed of their truck pretty much. 
and they got all their hounds in there. There was like 10 dogs in, in this big cage. And they get their top dogs once you get out into the property. And everybody's got CBs and everybody picks a different road. They take their top dogs. They just strap them on the top. They're just chained on the top. And these dogs live for this. So they're scenting. You're driving around, driving around. And these dogs just start bailing. They get scent of a bear. All of a sudden, then you get out and you turn them loose. And then you call your buddy over there and you're like, hey, I found him, blah, 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 wherever you are. And then they all come over together. Oh, my god! Everybody gosh. turns out their best dogs. The dogs end up coming together in a pack, find the, the bear, and you're following the dogs based on hearing them and GPS. So you're like Whoa. hiking up the mountains, like running to catch up with the dogs because they're on a bear. And, some, and, you know, hopefully they tree the, the bear and then you run to to see the level of training and the instinct of these dogs, oh my gosh! Like it was hard as heck. It was so hard. It was hard. I bet hunting. you got your West step Virginia in. Is hard country. Oof! But you get so excited because these dogs just start bailing and barking, and you're like, it's just it takes you right back to um, like watching when you love the dogs and you love the hunt when you watched. Where the red fern grows for the first time you know yeah. and he's and, he, and he's so proud of his dogs you know and you work so hard to get them and everything like you could just feel the pride with these guys oh my gosh so, oh, okay confession i've never read the red fern grows i've seen the movie though seen okay movie. well seen the movie that's, that's good enough just no as as I, seen the movie. I feel like i should read it i feel like it should go on my bookshelf but yeah. before i put something on my bookshelf i want to read it so. so yeah like that was so much fun and i've ran with a really great group of guys so um so cool i they do it every weekend like that's their pastime and you know i mean they running just, bear dogs running bear dogs yes yeah never never would have thought about that oh my gosh it is really really cool and you know there's been a lot of controversy about it. SCI has done a lot of work to keep, oh. you know, hound dogs on the ground, whether it be chasing cats or whatever. So I've not done that. Chasing cats is a bucket list hunt for me. Seriously? Definitely. Yeah. That, I, that's I, I want to do Joe? that. Where is that? Where does that take out place? Out here. Out Seriously? west. Seriously? Yeah. Can I come? Heck yeah. We'll schedule okay, it. There we go. <laughs> so I, that is like, uh, just to go to go and do that kind of hunt is a bucket list of mine. Yeah, oh because gosh. you know we fall in love with duck. I love duck hunting and and bird hunting. I love the birds. I don't mm -hmm. really care to ever sit in a deer stand or anything like that. But then there's a oh, whole I just element in the afternoon <laughs> with the dogs, you know, and just seeing the dogs and the instincts of the dogs and the training and the relationships. So, yeah, I got really geeked up about that. And talking about dogs, you mentioned something earlier when we were just chatting. Oh, yeah. Collars. I work a lot with Over Under. And I don't, I mean, their t-shirt line so incredible. They have an amazing men's line. My dad oh, wears their do. clothes all the time. Yeah, but they have these great dog collars with the with this 12-gauge stamp, you know, so it's a really great gift. But you mm -hmm. said something that I've never heard out of all the years working with Over Under. I've never heard somebody say this is why they use their dog collar. <laughs> I thought that they were, I thought that's why they made it. Okay. I got to, I got to put a plug in. The reason it's a why fashion I statement, collar, I thought. Whatever. It, my dog smells so much better. And it's because of that rubber collar. You know, the other one, your traditional material 
it, it gets so smelly. I mean, we're running bird dogs out here and Baron's going and wallowing in the mud and fetching ducks and, you know, doing whatever dog stuff he does. And he used to come back and he would just smell. And I, I it, hit, it hit me one day. I was like, it's his collar. And because whenever I take it off, okay, he smelled okay. So I was shopping at a sporting goods store in Little Rock and I picked this up and I said, I wonder if this would stink. And I took it home <laughs> and I put it on. I've had it for, I've had it for two years. Oh my gosh. It, I call it the anti-stink collar. No joke. It is amazing. My house smells better. I'm not kidding. It does not smell like a black lab in my house anymore. That's so awesome. Crazy. But I can't yeah. wait to tell them about that. That's, it's, that's great. That's the best feedback. It actually makes a difference. Oh yeah. No, it does. It makes a difference and it looks good. Yeah, they do look good. They really, really do. Gosh. Hey, another dramatic and, you know, we were kind of talking about, okay, stuff that can make people mad, you know, stuff that we do at Game and Fish, something that, I mean, comes up every single year. And I can't tell you the exact date when it was outlawed, but people running their deer dogs on public land. Yeah. We stopped that and I wish I could sit here and tell you the full story, but I'm afraid that I would get it wrong. So that that'll have to come another day. But when we outlawed that, I mean, people still talk about that. People are still mad about it. But in the end, I, I think I do know one thing about it is that there was conflict with private landowners that that bordered these public lands and, you know, people's dogs getting on their property, et cetera. And it turned into kind of a, it just turned into a little bit of a mess. Yeah. Um, but it's funny because every year, whenever we get a new commissioner, because a new commissioner is appointed every July because one rolls off, uh, there's, there's a guy who will email or call in to the radio station because typically they'll do interviews and stuff afterwards who says, I sure do wish that the Game and Fish would let me run my deer dogs on forestry land again. And we're like, oh my gosh, he's back. I swear it's the same guy every single year. <laughs> He is fired up about oh, it. Oh, but you can't help but understand yeah. where he's coming from, you know? Oh, that is so true. Because I know he probably had his best memories growing up doing that. And it's just something that that we can't do anymore. Now, you can do it on private land. You, mm -hmm. you can't even run your dogs on there, but you, you just can't do it on public land. So yep, he needs a lease. Yeah, that's right. He needs to get his buddies together and, and start him an outfit. Yep, that's exactly right. Or just come hang out with you and run the bear dogs. I, I don't know. <laughs> I, don't, I haven't got to do that in so long, but I never forget how much fun that was and how impressed I was with those dogs, how well behaved they were. It it was just impressive. It, le it left a lifelong impression on my heart to run bear with dogs. And um, I'd do it again in a heartbeat if I had the chance. Something it's scheduling. I didn't know I it's needed. Just scheduling and getting. Oh, I know. We scheduled everywhere. I mean, us getting together to just have this talk on this podcast. I mean, that was a scheduling. Like you, you had something one week. I had something one week. Out of town. It's a busy life that we live. It is, but we just have a heart to make a difference and to share and what goes on behind the scenes and why people need to get involved and, um. This is normal life for us. Like we've sat here and talked about personal stuff and things mm -hmm. that most people probably don't even care to hear. <laughs> I know? mean, probably I can, I can go on and on about that, but you know, in the end, yeah, we, we love to hunt. We love to fish, but we're also, we're human. Yeah, we exactly. And so there's a balance in our life. We're just like everybody else. 
And so mm-hmm. I always say, look, there's nothing special about me to have these opportunities. I just literally never said no. So when a door opened, just like you, joining this board, well, we're not really prepared for it, but we're going to step up to the plate. We're going to learn what the expectation is, and we're going to give our best, and then we're going to build on it. That is so true. And I got a lot of, I got a lot of negative you know, feedback whenever I was appointed. She's too young. She's not qualified. Uh, she got it because, you know, of giving money to the governor, et cetera. I mean, just things, things like that. And, um, I, you know, it's, it caught me just, it caught me by surprise just as much as it did everyone else. I, I was fortunate that I did have someone approach me who had served on the commission and said, Emory, I, I think that you need to put your name in the hat for this. I, I think that you're a good fit. And I, I think that you'll just, you'll do a good job. And even from him, I really didn't get what it takes to be a commissioner. After that, I did seek out a few former commissioners to get their thoughts and opinion, what it takes, the commitment. And I, after talking with my husband, uh, we came, I came to the decision on my own that this is something I'm going to do uh, if I'm picked. And I was picked. And it's the greatest thing that I've ever done besides the day I married Joe. And I, I really do think it's my calling. Am I going to, am I perfect? No. Am I always going to say the right thing and do the right thing? No, absolutely not. It goes back to that we're human. But if I can just make a small difference mm-hmm. in this state and listen to people and help them in the best way possible and help the Arkansas Game and Fish then I've, I've achieved my goal. Oh, I just love it. I love that you took that and that you didn't let people hold you back. Yeah, it's funny. A lot. It, okay. Uh, there's a part of me. Have you ever watched? Um, oh, gosh, who does it? Someone does mean tweets on their show where they go and like they get celebrities to read. them. No, I don't know. Oh, my, oh my gosh. So one day I was going, I mean, I was going through like the Game of Fish Facebook page and people are, you know, writing all this stuff and I'm reading it out loud. And I just have to sit there and say, I can't let this get me down because I've never met this person in my life. They don't know. Everyone's making assumptions right now. So, you know, I think that the most important thing we can do as people is forgiveness and just move on. And it's funny because I've actually had contact with some of these people in person and meeting them. And they're not bad people. Uh, They're not. They're not, you know, mean like people can portray themselves on the Internet. They're just normal, normal folks who care a lot. Yeah. And, and don't have all the facts, right? They don't have all the facts. Exactly. That's why communication is so important. And so, Oh, over time, you know, I think that that forgiveness factor is very important Mm -hmm. and getting really getting to know people because yeah, they may come off as loud and, Oh, we're not going to agree on everything, but it's just because they care. So it's, it's been a really cool lesson for me as far oh, as that's huge yeah it is huge. It, it really is and i told someone this the other day every conversation i've had with somebody on the phone i call everyone back who calls me i email back too i promised myself i would do that and so i do i've had every person that i've had even though it may not start off great in the end we all want the same goal 
And that's something better for our wildlife and our fish. And it always ends on a good note. That's amazing. Yeah. Well, I'm so inspired. I, I, I feel like I've done a lot of things, but now I need to figure out what's next. Like I need to do more. You and me me feeling like I need to do more. I, you know what? I'm only, I'm starting my fourth year on this commission and it goes to seven years. I'm like, what am I going to do afterwards? What am I going to do with my time? Mm -hmm. I, I don't know where, where I'm going to go, where life is going to take me. I'm just kind of riding this roller coaster and seeing, seeing what happens. But I really, I, my passion is, is something in conservation and wildlife and fisheries. And I'm going to continue to be involved with that at some capacity, whether it be with a non-government agency uh, on my own, et cetera. Yeah. Um, oh, well, well we welcome you with any organization because somehow I end up with all of them. Hey, um, nothing wrong with that. Yeah. But I'm the same way. It's like, um, I have this other podcast that I'm doing with a friend here called 40 years of freedom. And I never thought I'd do like a chick thing. Right. Yeah. But oh, yeah, I get that. She's completely opposite of me came from the beauty industry. And we just talk about how at this age, which you've a long ways to go before you get to my age, but Oh, whatever, you know, you just think about, and, and this, this, like we do a chick thing, but this resonates with men too. It's like, what are we going to do with the next season of life? And that's kind of where we are. And I'm ready to learn again. You know, it's like you just build and build and build and build. And then I want to learn again. And so like starting this whole waterfowl journey and having my retriever, she's going to be two next month. Like there's so much more for me to apply myself with. And um, like, I'm just kind of excited feeling like it's not a new start because I'm still that person with all the same skills, but I just want to apply it differently. And I'm in the same boat, just like this class that I told you I took with the National Deer Association. I learned so much. And I never thought that, first off, I, I'm not a school person. I was so ready to get out of college, like, you know, enjoyed it, had fun, but you couldn't pay me to go back to school. But then a little bit older, a little bit wiser, I'm learning things that I care about. And I'm like, I could go back to school for this. Yeah, when you when you figure out what you want to learn, we might go to school too early. You know, I've I mean I've got a kid in D.C. literally harassing our leaders in D.C. because she wants to make sure she doesn't screw up her decision in school. So she just wants yeah. more experience with them to see is this really what I want to do? And she's kind of caught the bug like you. I'll, I'll definitely get y'all connected because oh um, yeah for sure y'all have a lot of fun together, but. I'm with you too. It's like, I want to, I want to know more facts. I want to be able to have these conversations. And when, when the opportunity arises, I want to be able to help people. And my heart may also fall in line with like, we're getting all these kids coming up. that have never had a chance to hunt. And how are we going to keep this alive if we don't open up doors for them? And, and it's a lot of responsibility to take on mentorship of Mm. getting somebody in the outdoors for the first time. But just to strike up that that initial love and passion and then give them the tools Mm -hmm. to keep it going. And and I preach this all the time. This is why our lodges and commercial hunting opportunities are so important because they hold the hands for 
our newbies, and especially in bird hunting, it's a full circle thing, right? So you get started. You don't even need anything. You can just show up. The gear's there. The guide's there. The dog's there. Mm-hmm. The land's there. You just go have a good time. Oh, my god! And if you want to take that and build on it and get your own dog and go public land and travel the world, all that stuff, it, the opportunity's there. You know, that if, is you, so if you're happy just showing up at the lodge and having your annual hunt, it's it's fine. It's accepted. It's celebrated. And then at the end of your life, you still don't have to give it up if you can't travel anymore. You know, like those lodges are still there and welcoming. And so the life that we live is so special because it literally lasts forever. Mm-hmm. It does. And we have to make the most of it while we're all here. Be good stewards of it. And in general, enjoy it and enjoy the people that we meet through it. Yeah. And and you, I don't just, have to, I, you don't have to be perfect at something either. I mean, no. yeah, I go, I go hunting a lot, but am, am I like a perfect hunter or even a good hunter? No, I wouldn't qualify myself as that, but I sure do love it. Yeah. So. Well, I just think that the, the lodge life is such um, a special one that we can celebrate and that it's a great place to bring in and do introductory hunts and just mm-hmm. have somebody mentor them the entire time that they're there. And Oh, yeah. I, you know, I just, I can't get enough of it. I, as much as I've hunted and even done public land, I can't wait to get back to the lodge. I can't wait to have that social time in the evenings and everybody just give her, you know, each other heck and then celebrate the dog stories. And it's just oh, fun. Oh, it's the best. And it's so much fun. And those are, that's my happy place. Those are my favorite memories. And uh, I'm fortunate to where our family has had a operating farm slash duck hunting club since 1951. And so we have a rich just heritage in mm-hmm. history of all getting together at duck camp. It's a tradition. And I got a big family. And so uh, we all go down there together during hunting season and enjoy it. And yeah, so it, it's awesome. And, you know, we talk about getting kids involved and which we need to continue doing. I know I touched on this earlier, but I think that one of the most important recruitment efforts that we could do is for adult onset hunters and anglers like through these mentored hunts like you and I talked about we have a program called becoming an outdoor woman at the Arkansas Game and Fish I had never heard about it oh I've done that for years it's amazing every every DNR state has its bow right so we would do Georgia bow or whatever and they offer so many different opportunities for women to learn oh. about the outdoors. And it's like going to kids camp as an adult. Oh, it is. I mean, in the evening, they're like, okay, bring, bring your BYOB. So, yep. you know, the, after the day's over, you go talk about what you learned that day, have a glass of wine or, you know, another cocktail. And it, it is fun. It's like, it's like adult camp. And I think what's most impressive, and I've had adult men approach me and say, <laughs> I saw it becoming an outdoor woman that they are teaching you how to back in a boat. I don't know how to do that. I've never been taught. How do I learn? So we got to think about the guys too here. I mean, really that's intimidating and actually really commendable for somebody to come up and say, you know, something very masculine and say, I don't know how to do this. That has got to be the hardest part of hunting in general. I was Uh lucky enough that my dad taught me when I was like 14. Oh, yeah. You know, it was, Same. I was free labor. So yeah. <laughs> anything that I did to make his life easier is he taught me. And 
And I saw a meme the other day on Instagram, and it was this lady sitting in like the old school plastic fold out camping chair, like from the eighties. Oh, and she's like, five bucks, I'll back your boat in. And she's sitting at the boat ramp. And I'm like, oh, that yeah. is priceless because there are so many, so many, I mean, who? I mean, not many people are lucky like you and I who had someone to teach us one-on-one how to do that. But they not teach even the teachers, but the opportunity. Yeah. Right. And they teach you how to, use, I mean, we did a chainsaw class, how to clean a deer. I mean, these are life skills that I'd like to see broaden into even a bigger program for these adult onset hunters. I, I think that's a term. I don't know. It's been no, something it is. saying. So, uh, and I, I think it's, I think it's important because yeah, you know, there's the hunting part of it or the fishing part of it, the catching, the killing, but what about everything that leads up to it? Mm-hmm. Everything it's a, it's a puzzle and we got to put it together. And, and you don't really have to back a boat. And that's the whole thing is like, oh, yeah. just you to take all that places. But, oh my gosh, just, you're right. Like there is so many life skills that goes into it that we have lost. Um, but I'll tell you a big goal for me is I would love to, to one day be able to say, I took somebody who like lived in the heart of New York city or in the middle of Buckhead and never, never saw a tractor drive down the, the highway or something like that. Mm-hmm. And they've got some like, massive mount in their office like i you know i want i want to find somebody that would take that much pride and put you know a big duck spread or big pheasant all fanned out just to have that conversation because they like recruiting those people through r3 that go back to a world where nobody in their circle is gonna have access to people like us like that's the biggest reward right because they're going to make a massive impact when they have the confidence to say wow i did this and it is completely out of my comfort zone and it's something that i never want to forget oh that is that is so true and it's funny you say that about you know the taxidermy side of it because i did that for somebody who came hunting with me uh a friend of mine who who was also just a big help to me in many ways in general when i first joined the commission and took her duck hunting and uh she was the first one it was a ladies hunt that i hosted she was the first one to shoot that day and the first one to get a duck and we had an awesome hunt it was a it was a mallard hen and i didn't tell her but i saved it and you know gave her a different duck breast to take home and i had it mounted for and this is someone that you would never expect to go hunting and it's in her office Yes, and yeah. I love that. People I love are like everywhere. you. I mean, like you and the cute dress and all, and you've got this. I'm like, mm-hmm, that's right. <laughs> I think that's so funny. You do it all. The first ladies' hunt that I hosted, the first duck hunt that I hosted, um, one of my DU committee buddies' wives came, and I adore her. And it was hilarious because she rolls up in her fancy car, gets huh? out with all of her Louis Vuitton luggage, and I'm like, oh my gosh, right, we're at duck camp. <laughs> you know, like you're not gonna wash your hair. <laughs> oh no, I don't you take know? makeup. Like no, it, it does so not funny. exist at duck camp. And she's such a huge advocate, and so those those types of situations are just so rewarding for me. Oh, they are me too. And especially once you get them into the dogs and, uh, you know, they realize like, oh, this is fun. Like maybe I don't want to go out. I've had people tell me this. They're like, hey, I don't really want to go out and shoot. That's just not what I'm into. But I want to come out and learn how to work the dog Mm -hmm. and, you know, buy a hunting license. I'm like, all right, like, that's cool. 
I can, I can deal with that. There's several mornings where I don't even take my gun. If we have a lot of people hunting, we, we host a lot of hunts for my business, my family's business. And so well, people come in from out of town, I mean, we'll hunt with six people sometimes and I won't take my gun. I'll just go work the dog. And I have just as much fun doing that. I know I do too. So well, I think we could talk all morning and, and I hope anybody listening to us that, you know, something has that we've said sprung a question or comment, or if you guys want to get in touch with either of us, like we're both on social media, um, mm-hmm. I will post those contact information on the episode description um, because we're just here to help. Exactly. And my door's always open. Like I said, I return everyone's phone calls, emails, Instagram messages. Um, you know, I'm, I'm a pretty transparent person, if you can't tell. I mean, we've talked about all sorts of topics today. Uh, so I'm, I'm, always, I'm always there and I always feel free to reach out because especially in the position that I'm in, we, we go back to communication. Communication's key. It's incredibly important. And I'm always here to listen about your thoughts, concerns, ideas. Yeah, well, I appreciate you joining me this morning. I appreciate and I can't wait until, until next time. Absolutely. Till next time. Talk soon. I guess that's something you don't understand. A ground us up in a big machine. I feed us all on the same belief. Oh, a dollar and a credit card. But we got a way of doing things. And nobody.